0: On today's show, we're talking about Sexual Assault Awareness Month and how sexual assault impacts Nebraskans with our guests Nick Zadina and Tia Manning.
1: Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They are a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska, called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast
0: with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower Henny. We have two bonus episodes where you can learn all about Nick and Tia and their organizations, um, both the Women's Fund and the Nebraska Coalition. But Nick, tell us what you do at the Women's Fund.
1: Yeah, I'm the Freedom from Violence coordinator at the Women's Fund of Omaha, and we work every day to end gender-based violence in Nebraska, specifically focusing on domestic violence, sexual assault, and uh, human trafficking.
0: Awesome. And Tia, what is it that you do at the Nebraska Coalition? Um, So at the Nebraska Coalition, I'm the sexual violence program coordinator.
2: And so what we also do is working to end um, sexual and domestic
0: violence for all genders. All right. Well, April is... Sexual Assault Awareness Month, um, and it's a really important topic. I think that a lot of people don't really think that this affects Nebraskans. so I want to hear from both of you about why it's important that we talk about this in Nebraska um, and what, you know, ultimately we need to take away from this topic.
1: Yeah, I guess I can start. I think one of the reasons it's so important to talk about sexual assault and, like with any topic— You can't solve a problem unless you talk about it, and it's so hard to talk about sexual assault. Um, It's a vulnerable topic for a lot of people. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings out there around it. We know that most sexual assaults occur between people who know each other. It's not the stranger thing. The stranger thing happens, but that's definitely the minority. And... There's a lot of victim-blaming language out there that we still see today. Um, It's hard to come forward as a survivor of sexual assault and talk about what happened to you because of the pressure and that stigma. And so, like, having a discussion, like, you're not going to solve a problem unless you talk about it. And with the way that secrecy just revolves around all things related to sexual assault and, honestly, sex, that's not helping. And so awareness is, like it's a first step. It's not like the end all be all. We need to have other things in place as well. But if we can't even talk about it, we can't do anything about it.
0: Right. And talking about it can lead to good advocacy work as well. Um, I think another thing that helps is to create a safe space for survivors to even think about reporting too. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I think like,
2: Figuring out what that means, right, when we say reporting, because it's gonna be different for all survivors. I think we live, we're talking about sexual violence and having those uncomfortable conversations that oftentimes realizing that it doesn't fit a certain mold. And so when that survivor is coming to talk to you, meeting that person where they are, and having allowing that survivor and empowering that survivor to lead that, what that means for justice and um, for healing for that person, which oftentimes we have guided them toward other modalities of healing. So. And sexual assault doesn't happen in a vacuum.
1: And so when we talk about like the way sexual assault looks, like sometimes sexual assault is correlated with sex trafficking. Sometimes sexual assault is correlated with domestic violence. Sometimes sexual assault is correlated with intimate partner violence. It can look so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's some narratives out there that say even sexual assault survivors must do blank. So for example, sometimes I'll hear, well, sexual assault survivors needs to report it to protect other survivors. It's not their job to protect wow. other people. They're uh, the. It's the job of the person doing the sexual assault to stop doing it. Yes. <laughs> like, that's where we need to be focusing our attention. Absolutely. Not on telling what survivors they should be doing. Because we also don't know what that implication means for that survivor. Right. Um, who assaulted them? How much power and control do they have over them? It's not as black and white as some people think it is. It's complex. And complex Complex problems require complex complex solutions. And one thing I do want people to know is that in Nebraska, there's a number of ways to report sexual assault. And sexualassaulthelp.org talks about how you can report anonymously or not anonymously. Um, there's three different options that are laid out there. And it, I just – there are options for – people who want to report and there are options for
2: people who want to report in different ways. Mm -hmm. Right, And and Nick, I think you bring up a good point because oftentimes what we see is, well, why didn't that person tell somebody? Why didn't they report? Like what, what's happening? And so looking at the whole picture, because sometimes people don't report because the person that is harming them is keeping them, keeping a roof over their head, Mm -hmm. providing them food and all of those things too. So when we're having those conversations, again, looking at the whole person and looking at where this person is coming from and not judging on why they didn't report. It's coming from a place of how can I
0: support you now? And I think the other thing too, is it's never too late to report. Absolutely. right. Um, Tia, I'm interested in, you know, your background as a clinician. What is the best way, you know, if you are being the listener of someone reporting for the first time, what's the best way to communicate with that person? Coming from a
2: place of empathy, I think, is going to be really, really important um, and empowering them to lead that discussion. I think we come, oftentimes what happens is it's like, okay, I'm going to fix it and then I'm going to tell you all the things to do. And realizing oftentimes in those dynamics, it's already been that power and control and that person may not necessarily feel like they have control over this current situation too. So walking alongside of them um, will be really, really important as you work with somebody.
0: And allowing them to make those decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Nick, you have a huge background in working with children Mm -hmm. victims of sexual assault. Yeah, Um, That can be quite different than working with adult victims of sexual assault. What's what are some pointers that you have on on that?
1: Well, so the laws are different. So with children and sexual assault, uh, <clears throat> we're all mandatory reporters in Nebraska. Every adult is a mandatory reporter of child abuse and neglect. If you know of a child who has been sexually assaulted, you are a mandated reporter. That is not true with adults. Um, adults should have say in when and how reporting looks. And another thing, kind of just to build off what Tia was saying, If, if you're sitting, if somebody is telling you that they were sexually assaulted, that is very, very hard. But I also want you to know that that is such an important point in that person's life. Mm -hmm. And like, how amazing that they came to you. And I think one thing that can be really, really hard is that if that ever if you ever are in a situation where somebody tells you they were sexually assaulted, believe them. Yes. Believe them, believe them, believe them. Yes. Because the damage that can be done if you don't believe them is so much greater than the damage that would be done if you believe them and they're not telling the truth, which by the way doesn't happen. Yes. Like we were talking earlier about like people don't lie about getting mugged, people don't lie about these other crimes. But for some reason, when it comes to sexual assault, we always have these questions of, yeah, but did it happen? Mm-hmm. And we suddenly get very entrenched in this this like idea of (laughs) innocent until proven guilty. And all of a sudden we all feel like we need to be the lawyers. And I don't know where that comes from, but I think it has to do with the discomfort that we feel Mm -hmm. when somebody reports something really vulnerable to us, because then we have feelings about it and maybe we want to fix it or rescue them. And if we don't feel like we can fix it or rescue them, we just minimize it because it makes us uncomfortable, which does incredible amounts of harm.
0: Yeah.
2: And there's that stigma piece, right? Like, yes. I feel like stigma plays into that. But then also when you watch rape culture is real. And I feel like we live in a society that will perpetuate that by shows we watch sure. on a daily basis. You can turn on your TV and have that moment where you're just like, I mean, is that OK to have on there? Mm-hmm. And so I think that also in, feeds into that narrative of making having an uncomfortable conversation of certain things that we watch, certain things we um, ingest into our own like mind, if you will. So, mm-hmm.
1: and I think having awareness around those things, like, so if you're a parent out there and you have kids and you're watching a show and something kind of gross happens, don't ignore it, talk about it. Absolutely. Because kids are taking all of that in and trying to make sense of the world around them. And one of the things that we talk about at Women's Fund all the time is the huge importance of. Sex, a comprehensive sex education, which isn't just about sex, it's about relationships. It's about consent. It's about all of the things around uh sex. And if kids aren't getting lessons about relationships from school or from somewhere else, from anywhere else, they're gonna figure it out by going to media um, or other places mm-hmm. that might not be sending messages that are clear.
0: And when we talk about child sexual assault too, using correct names for body parts becomes very important.
1: It's so important to use the correct names for body parts. So one thing that we talked about at Project Harmony a lot was um, when I would do training on mandatory reporting and we got to the part on sexual abuse, I would always say, so if you want to protect your kids, make sure that you teach them the proper names of their body parts. Because the way child sexual assault works, so 90% of the time that we have a child sexual assault, The child knows the person assaulting them. Mm -hmm. And what we see with grooming, which is a word that's being thrown around now, and I think not the right context, grooming means grooming a child to be sexually assaulted. We actually don't even like the word grooming anymore. We prefer the word manipulation because grooming, that's what you do to your dog, right? Right. (laughs) Like That's what you do to your dog to to make sure they look okay. We use the word manipulation. And this manipulation is done in secret. And secret is a big part of this too, which once again gets back to we need to have the conversations. Because when there's secrets that breaks that communication and isolates it. So the way that we see this manipulation usually working is that people who are looking to sexually abuse children first, they find vulnerable children because they have an end with that. So for example, if, uh, a child doesn't get a ride home after school. Um, mm. Somebody will notice that and then say, "Hey, I can give your kid a ride home after school." And they build relationships with the family and the child. And then after they build those relationships, eventually they'll maybe seek alone time with the child. And then after they seek alone time with the child, they're going to sexually abuse them right away. They're going to have a, they're going to have a great time. They're going to show the kid a great time and build that relationship more. Mm. And then they'll slowly start introducing sex and kind of like probing for how much they know about sex. And they might say something like, do you know what your body parts are called? And if a child says, yes, I know I have a penis or yes, I know I have a vagina, that's going to be a cue to that person that somebody's talked to that kid about sex, Mm -hmm. which is actually very protective. Mm -hmm. But if the kid doesn't know what their parts are called, then they say, oh, I can teach you that. Mm-hmm. And we heard of kids uh, who had names for their body parts that were given to them by the people of using them, which, And then they would say it's a secret and they would say this is how sex is everywhere. And they would basically build what sex is for this kid. And they were the only resource they had. Comprehensive sex education in schools and in a public setting is super important. And one thing we hear all the time is that parents should be doing this education. And I agree with that. But I also know that at Project Harmony, which is the child advocacy center in town, which deals with um, sexual abuse of children, 37% of their the, the cases that they have there, the perpetrators, are the parents. And so we need to have places other than parents as well, because not yeah. all parents are safe.
2: And I think you bring up like with that point too, right? Like, so I have two little girls, um, they're 10 and seven. And <clears throat> my partner and I, what we do is we use the words penis, vagina, right? Um, but when they go to grandma and grandpa's parent-like place, it's not those words. And so even having those conversations with extended family members to let them know, like, I'm, this is what we're doing. This is what we're teaching, but also uplifting too with other folks that may make them uncomfortable,
0: Mm -hmm. but
2: it's important to have these conversations with all folks that are involved as well.
0: The same messaging. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think with, you know, Tia, your background in working with adult victims and, you know, help us, with that conversation we had around, you know, sex sex offenders and often they have been victims themselves and how you work with that in helping to end you know, maybe that cycle? I think, and so it's it's been a process. I
2: will be very honest with that. And also uplifting to that it is not in like this bubble, right? So when we're working with folks that have harmed others by sexual violence, also taking a step back and having those conversations, often uncomfortable with other folks and realizing that oftentimes there's been trauma that's happened to them as well, right? And so when we're having those conversations, exploring what that looks like to that person and also giving them as hard and as difficult as it can be sometimes you have to give the folks grace Mm. and realizing we're having and being aware of our own biases when we come into these rooms and are having these conversations because we're human Mm -hmm. and again we're also influenced by media and all the other things when working with folks that have harmed folks by sexual violence and so um i think that's also going to be really really important when we're when we're talking to people Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I've learned as an adult is there are a lot of uncomfortable conversations that we need to have. And the more uncomfortable they are, people just shy away from them. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, having this podcast and having that uncomfortable conversation is really important um, for a place for people to listen to this. Um, and we learn a lot from having uncomfortable conversations so long as we can be in a mind space where, you know, we're listening and... Um, taking that person from where they are in that moment, too. I think the biggest thing that I really struggle with a lot in thinking about sexual assault is this idea that we don't believe victims. And I don't know where that comes from, you know, because, Nick, like what you said, when someone reports um, uh, 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 just a regular assault, right, doesn't have anything to do with sex, no one's questioning that. I got beat up in the alley, okay, cool, what happened? right? Or I got raped in the alley, oh, are you sure? Did that really happen? Um, So what we do with that and some of the work that the two of you do in your organizations is really important. Um, Nick, you talked about some teams that you're building at the mm-hmm. Women's Fund. Tell yeah. us more about that. So we
1: work with two community response teams and uh, it's a domestic violence community response team and the sexual assault community response team. These teams bring together all of the people who work in the systems that involve sexual assault and domestic violence. So we're talking lawyers. We're talking law enforcement. We're talking advocacy. Um, and we're all working together to try to make the systems as accessible and as useful as possible to the survivors who
0: access them. That's a lot of opinions on a team.
1: Yeah. It's a lot of different,
0: <laughs> it's a lot of different people
1: who are working together. Right. Yeah. And, and how, the do system you, how is, is that
0: navigated?
1: Well, it's really complicated and <laughs> yes. even like, and it's really easy to get siloed because the systems are also ex- evolving all the time. Like everybody is doing new practices and different practices. Like, the the system response to sexual assault and domestic violence is new. Like Mm -hmm. these are, these are things that are only a couple of generations, not even like they're very new responses and we're still figuring it out. And so as we're trying to figure it out, everybody is doing their own thing. And the other thing that we're running into with our services these days is everybody's understaffed. Like we don't have the manpower to intervene in the ways we want to all the time. So like just simply getting the number of, responders in all the areas up to the level where their caseloads are manageable Mm -hmm. is
2: a challenge.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: And I also want to say too, right? Like when we're looking at that and talking about like all the teams coming together. So a lot of the stuff that I do is working with folks too, that are in our carceral system and that have been harmed by sexual violence. And there is a law. So the prison rape elimination act, um, that was signed in, in 2003 And also realizing, too, that that um, is something that we also need to look at when we're working in these teams, too. Because yes, we are working with folks that are in our community, but also realizing that the folks that we have in our overcrowded prison have also been harmed by sexual violence and mm-hmm. continue to be harmed yep. by sexual violence while they are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also something that we need to be having those conversations around, too. Yep, absolutely. And
0: how is that care different for folks that are incarcerated? Or is it? Um, so it is different
2: um, because folks that are incarcerated are essentially um for lack of a better word, they're behind this concrete building. Um, but because of the PREA Act, um, the goal is to allow folks to have the same access to sexual assault services that they would in the community, right? So being uh, having access to an advocate, an advocate um, a medical examination, mental health services as needed, and any other services that are identified by that person, while also um, realizing that What makes it difficult is this person is already labeled as -hmm. a criminal or as an inmate, if you will, and stuff like that. So there's already that label that's coming in. And so I feel like what is happening in in those facilities aren't always the most trauma informed. And also, right, like one in 10, they say statistically by Just Detention International, one in 10 are sexually assaulted while in, um, some sort of detention center. So, wow. um, I feel like that is something that we need to be having. Yeah. and talking about,
0: I'm really interested in, um, each of you, if you're comfortable sharing, how do you maintain self care for yourselves? Because this is deep work.
1: That's a great question. And I, it's funny, cause I usually am the one asking this question, not the one answering this question because we do work in a community where people are in the trenches and, uh, I think I think one thing that always helps me is I am I love it when people come together under one cause and everybody I work with wants what's best for survivors mm-hmm. whether they are actually practicing that or not and I think that one thing that invigorates me is when we can get people together to solve a problem or brainstorm a problem and make some progress on it. Um, also, you need to find your ways to get away from the work. I I have two dogs, uh, Mr. Pickles and Zucchini, and they are a joy. And me and my wife uh, will take walks with them. Like that's a ritual every day after work, as we go around the block with the
0: dogs. Please and... tell us how you came up with those names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> Mr. Pickles was the name of a funny-looking dog I saw at the humane society in like 2008, and then we adopted one of our own, and I'm like that name so he's a little Pekingese he's white he's also mean if you ever see me around walking a white dog do not pet him he will bite you Um, but uh, they bring us a lot of joy and you gotta find and harvest that joy
2: so real quick can I just say so one of my best friend's dogs is named Mr. Pickles
0: (gasps) oh my gosh
2: (laughs) and I've always like I always just find a segue to ask how's Mr. Pickles right because how cool of a name
0: is that you can always ask me (laughs)
1: i'll say he's mad
0: i wonder we are gonna figure out this mystery and we are gonna update the listeners on what's going on with mr pickles and then yeah yeah i love it um so my self-care
2: is like i said i have two little little kids and so we yeah just doing mindless things and arts and crafts and type of things with that. But I will say one thing that I had to take a step back on is I love a good true crime product podcast, but also making sure and realizing that what we're ingesting as our um, self care can also be harmful. So um, I like to watch a little Bridgerton every now and then. <laughs> I was going to say, did
0: you go from true crime to like Hallmark movies or what are we talking? Bridgerton's a good, good yeah. middle.
2: Yeah. Like this. So then that way it- yes so i watch bridgerton but i'm also i let somebody read to me i like audible mm-hmm. um and then just being outside especially since now that it's spring anytime that i can get out is is really really good so that has become my self-care for sure and i love to cook so Ooh, what do you like to cook um hello fresh cooks like they'll they'll package things so whatever comes in that box but then um just trying new recipes. Yes. My, I love that too. So.
0: And do you ever make funnel cakes yourself? Um, no, I'm scared too. <laughs> There's a lot of splattering I feel like that happens. Yeah. Yes.
2: Um, we well, awesome. also have two dogs and I'm scared that one would be that one that would like jump up when something splatters, so. Oh, right. Not a fun name like Pickles, just Kiki, but yeah.
0: <laughs> so I have cats. Um, Cats are a whole thing, mm-hmm. a whole different than dogs, but, um, yeah, they get into, into things like splattering food too. So, um, well, Nick, you made a comment that, you know, everyone wants what's best for survivors. So building off of that, what are some, um, suggestions that both of you have on ways people can do that?
1: Yeah, I I think being aware of all the options for survivors. So if you are working with survivors, informing them of the different ways they can make a report. So you can do full reports to law enforcement, you can do partial reports, or you can do anonymous reports if you choose. And these are all laid out at a website called sexualassaulthelp.org. I really encourage everybody to go check out that website, learn more about these different reporting options. Also, every victim of these crimes has certain rights and access to certain resources. Resources. That is laid out on this website as well. It's just a good place to learn about what it means to make a report uh, of sexual assault and gives people information that might be kind of hard to track down otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, sexualassaulthelp.org, I highly encourage people to go check it out.
2: And I also, I agree with that as well. Also realizing too, sometimes people don't want to report. So what is that going to look like for that person and helping that and supporting that person there? My big resource I like to use is the national sexual violence resource center. So NSVRC, um, it has phenomenal resources to support folks, your loved ones that have been harmed by sexual violence, as well as folks that identify as survivors, um, to, and it will, um, give you information specific to the region that you're in. So that is one that I I use often.
0: I think one of the big things that, um, you know, I'm not working directly in this work, but one of the things as maybe a lay person in this area is a takeaway is stop the victim blaming, stop asking what she was wearing Mm -hmm. after, you know, when she was raped, it's Mm -hmm. not, it doesn't matter. Um, And so I think, you know, With this topic, we're gonna provide some more resources in our show notes, both for the Women's Fund and Nebraska Coalition and then the website that Nick has um, shared with us. So check out those resources and find a way that is helpful to support these organizations that works for you, whether that's writing a check um, volunteering or writing letters to senators, calling your senator when there's bills that are important Absolutely. on these topics. Um, so thank you both for joining us today on this topic. Uh, very important um, as we watch and you know educate everything on April Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So thank you both. Thank, thank you for you. having us.
1: Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast, and be sure to like and subscribe
0: anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Rep Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.